Alright, we're back. Episode 2 of Olivia Q. Winkowich, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> so, last time we talked about her wild, wonderful adventures growing up in the UP and what was definitely not a work cult. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now she has plotted to make her escape from what was definitely not a work cult and is transitioning <laughs> off to college. She chose Trinity for a lot of reasons discussed in last episode. If you haven't heard last episode, you should probably check that out. It'll give you context for everything here today. But we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. So anything yeah. you want to just lastly add about what was definitely not a work cult before, <laughs> before we move on? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I think I don't I, I will definitely reference my childhood because really from the beginning of college on, it has been processing and reprocessing what the fuck happened in the up um in this place that was definitely not a work cult and speaking of definitely what the fuck happened definitely not a work cult is that intro fine with you yeah You're not gonna... <laughs> okay great i want um, the people at home to have fun yeah but we've got to I mean, honor those who are still I, living i, in I the understand work cult. how it feels like a work cult to you i think there are definitely some aspects that feel like that um but I will kind of process through our with our listeners on why we think that sometimes and why I also have a hard time with that uh, with that definition. So, um, yeah. So as I said, my college years and beyond is really just processing what happened and who and finding out who I am outside of a ministry context. Um, specifically that ministry context and outside of my parents because they were everything growing up. Um, I do want to preface this episode with saying that everything that I am about to say comes in the context of five years of therapy. Um, so this isn't just some like random whim thing that I'm that I'm processing now. It's just I've I've done a lot of work. Um, a lot of psychological work and I value that a lot Um, and I also think my parents intend well in everything that they do but that doesn't mean that there are never any consequences for things that they do so um, I just want to preface that um because I think that's important context for this episode. And as the host, a statement of bias, her parents are not my biggest fans and I am not their biggest fans. Yeah, which so, we will talk about. But we'll get there. Yeah. We'll hear about it. But if you're puzzled why I, out of nowhere, inserted work called into things, <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, um, we will. So innocent but very stubborn and confident Olivia leaves the UP gets an iPhone, her very first like smartphone because I needed a GPS and I go down to Trinity and I have this very old car that used to belong to my great grandpa and we pack it up and my parents are very, very pro me going to college. As you know, um, they wanted me to get out of the UP so and to experience the rest of the world. I was And a um, huge praise for Jana. Something she did do a fantastic job about that Olivia didn't really brush on in the last episode was 
as a woman with a lot of education and a lot of leadership skill and potential, she instilled into her daughters a sense of confidence and self-value, uh, which obviously they learned through taking part in the ministry. But she really did encourage them that like women can be smart and leaders. Yeah. Um, and so Absolutely. Olivia came with that swagger as well when she met me shortly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I was one of, I think, two people who left Michigan for college. So I was kind of just on my own figuring it out. I didn't know anyone at Trinity and I knew nothing about being Dutch or Dutch reformed, um, which is an extremely big cultural part of Trinity. Which Um, for those of you who didn't go to Trinity is relevant because... If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Exactly. And (laughs) Trinity, I barely knew this is dutch as hell (laughs) he's a dutch as hell hell. yeah Uh, yeah it is um and very just culturally dutch too but if you ask people hell is not very dutch (laughs) you need to to make that addendum there we go yeah so i had a major cultural shock i think mostly not just with dutch but with class um that was really really hard for me um i thought I thought that I could come in and be like oh yeah I'm middle wealthy class as you all are and hello fellow kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes I am also wealthy but don't think I'm wealthy and pretend I'm poor but am actually extremely privileged and wealthy um no I didn't pretend very well I quickly kind of realized oh I yeah I, I have no idea what is going on here um And it was really hard for me to connect to people and find people who I felt like I could be authentic with and who could understand this mess of a context that you all just listened to. Um, And that was that was difficult. It was very lonely for me. And I thought that everyone told me that college would be the best time of my life and it would be the time where I have all of my best friends and my best experiences and I could learn so many things and it'd be so great and I was I transitioned academically really well um it was the first time in my life I ever got grades because my parents believed in perfection and so um if I didn't and when I was homeschooling if I got something wrong I'd just have to keep doing it until it was perfect um so I I remember I got an A minus on a paper um my freshman year and I called my mom and I bawled because I thought that my professor was so disappointed in me and um that was that pressure was hard that I put on myself and I know that I gathered that from my parents um they say that they did not pressure me to get all A's but I there are things you can pick up you know um and I also knew I was I could only afford it because my parents were poor enough and I was smart enough and we kind of, I kind of hit that sweet spot. And um, I still have plenty of debt, but I was, I was able to make it in that school. And I feel the most comfortable when I'm in a position of leadership because it gives me some type of authority and respect that I um, feel most comfortable in. But I didn't have a position of leadership that freshman year. And I just was supposed to be like one of the kids. My whole life, I've never been one of the kids. I've never had peers that I could just, like, hang out with. I had some kind of alternate goal, I guess. And 
it was weird. Um, but I found some people that I really loved. You were not one of them, Devin, as you know. <laughs> no, as I recall, we met and it was just like, this is a love for the ages. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I did. I don't, I don't think that's what it was. Um, yeah, I met you and I was like, oh, he is so arrogant and so annoying. And I really did not connect with you. But I didn't, I don't know. I, I tried really hard to connect with other people and... I also had been told my whole life that I would find the love of my life in college. And so I like got to Trinity. And I was like, finally, I can start dating. This would be great. Um, but I had this complex as well, which we'll get into about dating. And um, my mom, you know, highly advised against me dating in college because that would distract me from my academics and I'm there for my academics and all that. So I was like, trying to get at the boys but I also felt like I would be disappointing my parents if I got distracted by boys that whole thing um I had a very different body type from most of the people there I had very different income from most of the people there um I was blonde at least so that was nice that helped um it just felt like this whole battle of trying to prove that I was interesting enough to people to be friends with and I felt like I couldn't offer anything um but I found a home in the theater and that was really nice um and I found a lot of a lot of not community but I felt a lot of comfort in the academics I love I love learning and I love the college academic environment and I loved my professors I learned the I went to theology classes and wow I I love learning about theology um I finally was figuring out all of the history around everything I had been taught from the bible my whole life and I loved it I thought it was fascinating um and I just that spiritually I was really on fire not in a really emotional way I was finally like academically on fire in um in a spiritual way um I really liked how Trinity didn't require chapel attendance but I also really liked how they were more reverent and a little more liturgical because I liked that more like academic approach to things I thought it was really interesting um and it helped me feel like there wasn't quite as much drama I guess in the church context or spiritual context and and for those who yet again didn't go to Trinity the Dutch religious system or like the Dutch reformed it, it's not Dutch reformed it's it goes by like CRC like Christian reformed church um there's other subsects of it but it's a very like aggressively non-emotional form of worship where like they're singing because there has to be but it's definitely not about that like i I feel like the these are not the churches falling prey to the like oh church is just a rock concert now like that's not what they're going for (laughs) they have like some people with guitars and they will like sing the songs still into hymnals in a lot of cases but then it's just like a very theologically dense sermon based in tradition and like creeds um, and it's definitely not, they, they don't tend to focus on, um, like emotional experiences and it's far more about like 
tradition and the role you play and like yeah your your like role in god's plan that you're born into as a person who's there like if you're there you're in type type system um for those who don't know it's kind of unique but they have like a derogatory name for their type of spirituality that they kind of like use as a joke where they're like oh yeah we're the frozen chosen because Mm -hmm. we're kind of like they they believe in predestination typically um so they believe like god chose them as the christians who would like be saved and get in and like total depravity so like like people aren't good like everyone's going to hell except them because they were like chosen predestined by god to like be the christians and go to heaven um but they're like very emotionally and like uh their their energy feels very frozen it's kind of a cold type of religion Yeah. yeah Um, for those who aren't familiar, yeah, that judge was, people. I'm that sorry if I didn't nail it, but <laughs> that was my experience. <laughs> yeah, um, which I think growing up, I had very, very strict expectations that were not made clear to me, and I had to figure them out out of context clues and tonality, um, and sometimes I figured it out too late. And I felt terrible about it. But I had very clear expectations and I needed to meet those expectations. And it was nice at Trinity because while it kind of felt like that type of spirituality was more constricting to someone like you, for me, I was like, okay, well, at least I know what I need to do, how I can win, you know? (laughs) Um, And that was nice. And it just kind of took some pressure off. And, um, yeah, I can see that having, having been really nice for you. Cause it's a little, there's definitely a politics to it, but yeah, it is like, because it's so t- steeped in such a defined tradition, it's like, here are the answers, do the way and yeah. you can win. And I can see how that would really work exactly. well. For you. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do the way. <laughs> and hopefully I can win then. Um, you know, I'm learning being Dutch right now just on a whim, but hopefully I can learn it in a couple months and do it well. Um, I had been told my whole life that I'd be really good at being uh, a resident assistant, an RA in res life. And um, I was like, yeah, I was a camp counselor literally my entire life. This will be perfect. And I applied and I didn't get it and I was shocked and I sobbed and I felt fundamentally unwhole because of that. And it's kind of silly looking back on it, but it really kind of showed me, hey, you don't know how to play the game enough. You're not Dutch enough and you're not... Like, you're not Dutch enough or you're not diverse enough. And so you really can't, like, we can't give it to you for either reason. And so there's no, like, I don't know. You, you know, there was kind of, there were, there were politics in that as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it was really disheartening because I couldn't take it as, like, there were politics in it. It was, I am my character is fundamentally unworthy of leading other people on this campus. And I, I took everything very personally. I still take most things very personally. Um, and so my next year on campus, I was just kind of like, I can't really play the game. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And 
that's fine. And I slowly started to kind of let go of the like tense pieces of myself. Um, and that was also um, a weird year because... We're talking sophomore year? Sophomore year. Yeah, because I didn't really have a lot of leadership. I was really hard on myself um, because I had ended a friendship that meant a lot to me and it was kind of a messy thing. And um, I I kind of had to try to prove to myself that I was good enough in so many ways because I wasn't good enough to be an RA and I wasn't good enough for this friend in different ways and that wasn't actually true I just that's what I thought in my head and I can see how that would be particularly difficult because a through line through your history of growing up was like there is no separation between like my religion and what I'm doing and what I'm doing is necessarily like serving other people and leading them and teaching them yes and so without that it seems like it'd be a real being told that I wasn't good enough to do that I was like well that's all I know how to do so what do I do um and it was hard and I completely threw myself into classes and running and um theater and all these different things and they weren't really that fulfilling or helpful but I tried and I tried to make friends and and so to theater, that's that's how Olivia yeah. and I kind of became a little bit better friends. That's I true. think theater everywhere, not just at like this college, but everywhere is like a home to the weirdest, loudest people. <laughs> like it's like if you don't fit in with everybody else, but you're loud, like theater is there for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, um, that was really my biggest part was that semester. And it was really fun. And I had a good time. Um I met. I felt like I like had a good group of people, um, and that was really really helpful. Um, my freshman year, I didn't intend on being involved in theater, and I just said, you know what, I really need to get better at experiencing rejection because I haven't really put myself out there for a lot of things, and I've really only like tried for things that I thought I could get so I really need to be better at experiencing rejection because I know that's hard for me so I um I went and I auditioned um at the theater and I got a part in the main stage play (laughs) as the only freshman and I was like oh I I don't think I have time for this but I'm gonna try it and then that actually you know I went in hoping for rejection almost and then I came out with a wonderful family and that was really really nice um but yeah so that was sophomore year I kind of started to um just find my own and I kind of also learned the politics of res life and being like yeah actually I don't really want to be the person to like keep the rules for everyone because which was optional if you're yeah it probably wasn't optional for somebody like you (laughs) but (laughs) yeah and I just didn't want to be seen I kind of saw how like the rest of campus saw RAs and I was like oh that's not really my vibe um and then that summer I went and I was it was my first summer not being home. I, um, every summer my whole life, I spent at our Bible camp and hosting our service teams. And 
I, for the first time, went to a really bougie camp and I was a videographer and it was this massive time of trying to just be like separating myself from my family's ministry and from my family and it was much harder than I expected because I was so ready to leave when I left but um, I also was like this is all I know that I am and even at Trinity it was really hard to like have the last name Winkowich carry no context or weight it was just another last name I was just like how do I even my whole life expectations have preceded me and it was freeing in a way but it was mostly just scary because I I didn't I didn't know how to present myself in the way I wanted to present be presented because I had never had to make that decision for myself um so yeah and I came into junior year um expecting for it to be very similar to sophomore year just doing the rest of my normal shit with my friends and um I got a call saying hey we have decided to add another floor of girls of freshman girls um because a bunch of people registered late and it's gonna be really difficult floor because it's a really diverse floor but we think that you are the right person to lead it diversity equals difficulty trinity christian college 2015 (laughs) um and thankfully um that past year i had made a documentary about diversity on trinity's campus and i did that not because i felt like i knew much about diversity but because i felt like I knew nothing about the subject of diversity, and I knew nothing about other races, to be honest. I knew absolutely nothing. Um, And one of my best friends um, is, um, well, one of my best friends today, but like at that time, she wasn't quite my best friend yet. Um, But she was um, one of the main leaders in the more like Latina group, Latina, Latino group. Um, on Trinity's campus and um, she was in my film class and she and I just sat through countless hours of like editing and interviews and stuff and I could just ask her openly and honestly any question and she could openly and honestly answer any question and talk about things and that completely opened up to my opened up my mind to what um really the subtleties of what race is in America. I I knew nothing before then, really. I cared. I had always really, like, wanted, you know, to learn about slavery and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, that was really the extent of what I knew. Um, And I didn't know how much race affected everything and this is kind of new to me i didn't i didn't know that this was like your racial awakening like this late it was yeah um so like when you say that do you mean like were you kind of taught like slavery is dead growing up like or like not slavery racism is dead growing up yeah very much and kind of like a uh, like the kids in our high school there there were like one or two black kids and 
Um, they were called the N-word all the time. And there were, it was just kind of like a it, – it was looked at like, oh, but the racism, but like the cool racism where you're like, oh, but you're a football player, so you're cool, that kind uh, of yeah. thing. And Casual oppression, of course. Yeah, it's it's like a good time, so it's fine. Right. Um, of course. um and that's kind of what I was taught and then I was also kind of taught um that like it really had a lot more to do with class than like color um and so not entirely untrue right right and that's just kind of what I saw (laughs) but um I think class plays a huge role but well I think color informed class and now it's easy to get the two confused for sure yeah yeah but yeah. <laughs> um, but really, I focused a lot more in class growing up, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes that included people of color. Sometimes it didn't. It makes a lot of sense too, because um, I think that would be a little bit more palatable for the post-racist white folks. Who yeah. Are, like yeah. not see it as a race issue, but a class issue. Yeah, exactly. And especially since we were um, ministering to people of a lower class, it was like, okay, well, this is important, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and. So that was kind of my racial awakening of being like, okay, there's some major issues on this campus, but also there's kind of like this weird, like a lot of us agree a lot more than we thought we did, that kind of thing. Um, And I had kind of come into being like, oh, there's a black student union. Like, why don't we have a white student union? Kind of that attitude. And like, I would never say that now, Mm -hmm. but that was my attitude at the time. And I like, I didn't think diversity was an important issue until... And because of that, um, I wanted to do the documentary because I was like, well, clearly it's important to a lot of people and I want to understand why. So I don't think the documentary was particularly well done. It was just for a class project, but it was really, really helpful for me to start to understand and just to have a friend who I could talk to about openly about that was massive. And she still is really really helpful and i have a lot of self-interest in seeing that documentary buried because at the time i was quite (laughs) uncle tom so (laughs) yeah you were but all that to say um because i had done that documentary i was kind of like the white poster child for diversity for a little bit and so i think res life was like oh olivia can do this really hard task of like leading all these diverse girls on this floor and so I was hesitant about it because I knew that would be, I was like, maybe I don't want to be in res life. I don't know. Um, I know I called you. I called some other people to talk about it. Um, and I eventually said yes. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, it was a very hard year, but I grew infinitely as a person my junior year of college I, I finally felt at home and like I had a place and I the girls on my floor were amazing and I still love them dearly to this day um and we had a very unique floor dynamic I felt very supported um there were a lot of difficult things that came up but I felt like people were really honest with me I hope they were honest with me and I learned a lot about other cultures on that floor and that was massive for me um and I think massive for a lot of people on that floor so that was a big part and then that was also the year I became really good friends with you and you didn't see things in a very binary way and I had always seen things in an extremely binary way and I kind of started to be like 
okay, maybe there is something outside of black and white in general. Um, and that kind of helped me develop my own thinking around things. And I was very squeamish around church. Um, because I was an RA, I was required to go to chapel once a week. I often didn't. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say requirement is a strong word. Yeah, I often didn't. I got away with it. That was a hard year though, because I was in theater. I had more friends than I had at any other point. I had a whole floor of girls who were relying on me. Um, and I had all of my hardest classes. I also um, had an internship, thanks to you, at a really wonderful company. Um, Words and pictures for life. <laughs> well, RIP Words and Pictures. Yeah, I mean, but... <laughs> also RIP Words and Pictures. But we, but... we did love Words and Pictures. <laughs> um, and then... Um, and then I also needed to have my gallbladder removed, and I just didn't have time. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry, gallbladder. You're just gonna have to sit still yeah. for a little so bit. And so I busy. just was so sick that whole year, um, but I was too busy to get my gallbladder removed. And so that that was all going on at that time, and I was really struggling spiritually to kind of figure out how do I even fit God into this picture because. I believe in God. I believe that he exists. I don't really have a lot of like time to nurture myself spiritually, but I want to. Um, but I think what's really important and what I still really feel is that I've always experienced God in the strongest ways through other people and through relationships. And a lot of people think that is dangerous that can lead you astray and maybe it can but i pastors can't lead you astray but that can lead you astray <laughs> exactly um i believe from a very young age is like no matter what god will give you a person um will show you his love and may often not be the person you want or expect but there will be people there to love you and I've seen that for myself. And I really, I learned so much through that year of about relationships and relating to other people and the importance of that. And that has just been fundamental in my entire life. But finally kind of giving way to being like, yeah, that's my priority is like my relationships with other people um, spiritually. And that was huge. You, and, what do you mean by relationships with other people spiritually like? exploring your spirituality through your relationships with other people or your greatest expression of your spirituality is your relationships to other people because I think that's different yeah that's fair my greatest expression of my spirituality my entire life but kind of realizing it that year is my relationships to other people and how that looks and how that plays out and I was extremely intentional about my relationships with my girls and I like I think that that was one of my times of best spiritual growth but I wasn't like going to a church I wasn't going to chapel I wasn't getting any kind of mentorship really it was more just really intense community and that was huge for me um yeah so that was really my, a big big lesson for me junior year um and then I 
moved into kind of a weird time. So a lot of people like to talk about purity culture as like, hey, don't have sex. Okay, now you're married. Okay, now have sex, that kind of thing. But purity culture for me was kind of different where sex was off the table. Like maybe you could maybe think about that when you're married, that kind of thing. But it was more of a focus of like, like my parents thought that if you kiss someone, you're like fundamentally tied to them for life. And like you cannot kiss someone until you know that for sure that you're going to marry them and be with them for the rest of your life. Um, and so like that was like really the most intense thing they could really discuss with me um, physically but um, emotionally there was a massive amount of major purity culture trauma for me Um, so like I said I I really couldn't even like comprehend like the physical part of purity culture because I was I was so focused on the very like mental and emotional part of purity culture um, that I think isn't talked about quite as much. Um, but it was in, it was really big for me. So I really believed that um, until I was fully ready to get married, it was kind of a sin to even really be interested in someone. I wanted desperately for a boy to like me and for me to like a boy back. I was very romantic. Um, but still I kind of are. I still am pretty romantic, yeah. <laughs> um, and I had all these like daydreams and... I wanted so badly for that to happen, but I also fully felt an immense amount of shame anytime I had feelings for anyone. Um, The amount of shame that a lot of people talk about like in a sexual way, but my shame was just purely for like being attracted to someone and for being interested in them. Um, It took me actually a year after we were talking just to figure out like what her type was because she was too embarrassed to like even admit that she had a type. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I was like, what, what was do really, you find attractive? I was told that I had to like really focus on like a man's like spiritual health. And so I really, and his like mind really. And Yeah, she played this I'm a sapiosexual card for like an actual full year before I ever actually found out what she was into. <laughs> Yeah, I had a lot of, like, really intense feelings for guys in the past. Um, and I had Im- extremely and immediately platonicized myself to them. Because I didn't believe that they would ever be interested in me. No one was ever interested in me in high school or in middle school. Um, and I later found out that that was because they were all too afraid of my parents. Um, I thought it was because I was fundamentally unlovable and undateable. Um, but it turns out that they were like, no, we like, you know, someone talked to me and be like, no, I had a huge crush on you. I totally would have wanted to date you in high school, in high school. But I knew that your parents would never feel like I was good enough to be with you. And I was like, oh, well, that would have been nice to know because I thought it was because I was too fat or too weird or all of these other things. And so I spent my whole life trying to figure out. Like, how am I not perfect enough yet? And um, I had a, yeah, I had a lot of weird complexes with that. Um, I had like this huge crush on someone and I was like, hey, I have this huge crush on you. I'm never talking to you again in my entire life. And we were very, very good friends. 
And I like really didn't. And um, and that was my way of solving it because I had so much shame. I couldn't ever comprehend like him knowing I had feelings for him and then me like talking to him again. Like that sounded like the worst thing ever. And I was like, I was in college. Like I should have been able to manage this at this point. But anyway, I realized I had a crush on you. Um, and I had, I was very good friends with you. I really respected you. You were not the type of person that I really pictured myself with. Um, I pictured myself with a very like white, tall, blonde boy who was like a worship leader, um, that kind of person. That's um, pretty much my antithesis. <laughs> very, I'm not very that different short from you. But besides that. Um, but then I was like, hey, um, I feel like sometimes our interactions are like more romantic than friendly and so that means I need to never spend time with you again and I said that to your face um and I wanted to throw up I thought that that would you know be the end of our friendship and you were like okay well like I'm not really in a place to date someone but I think you're cool and I was like okay and then you're like, how was your spring break? And I was like, oh, so like that's what <laughs> it is. And then, yeah, and then we like continued to hang out. And I was like, oh, so like this is like, like I can have feelings for someone and it doesn't have to be the end of my world and our friendship and all of these things. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I also, um, in that same month, uh, I turned 21 and you were like, so are you like going to go to a bar on your birthday? And I was like, I mean, I grew up thinking that. Um, and my mom really, really fundamentally believes this and says it a lot. Like the Holy Spirit cannot be present in your body if alcohol is in there. Um, that's kind of what she often taught. And so, I mean, she probably would believe that the Holy Spirit could be present, but like she believes that any type of alcohol completely like quenches any power that the Holy Spirit could have. Um, so I was very afraid of alcohol. My parents don't drink at all. Um, and really the way alcohol was shown growing up is that you either are raging alcoholic and it ruins your life or you're completely sober hundred percent of the time. There's no in between. And so I was kind of afraid of alcohol, but, um, I saw a lot of my friends like on their 21st birthday that just go to a bar and get like two drinks and then come home with their friends and that would be fine and I was so you asked me and I was like yeah actually I think that would be fine um and you were kind of surprised and you and I and some other friends went to a bar and we got a couple drinks and came home and came home to Trinity and I was like oh I'm not like inherently like a devil person now that's unexpected <laughs> and then I like and that was kind of the beginning of being like hmm, maybe my parents aren't a hundred percent right about everything and that was a huge deal for me and it sounds weird for like alcohol to be like this turning point but it really was where I was like okay well they were fundamentally terrified of this thing and it doesn't have to be that scary there's a way to be balanced about it and that kind of started this thing of like yeah I can have two drinks and that's okay and I don't have to be a raging alcoholic and it doesn't have to run my life and it doesn't run my life it still hasn't um and I kind of started to like 
explore other pieces of like, oh, maybe maybe they weren't right about this, or or maybe they were a little bit more dramatic about this than I than really makes sense for my context now in life, and all of these types of things. And um, you and I like kind of tried. To, we didn't start dating, but like there was this time where you were like, hey, I'm actually like really into you now and I was just like oh I didn't think that would be like even possible for anyone to like me ever and it was the same week another person another one of my friends said a similar thing and I was like oh oh okay that's different and I was just trying to figure that out and um it was a weird time for me but it it kind of that whole year my my 21st year was just kind of this whole figuring out of like what does life look like outside of my parents values I wasn't this crazy rebellious person by any means but I was just kind of testing the waters of like oh I'm not dead that's cool and it's like all these like normal life things omitting all the like heroin and drug running (laughs) and murders she was doing she did so many murders yeah all the murders I did (laughs) Um, I was like still such a conservative person, but like, man, I thought it was a badass. Yeah. And I say all that just because, yeah, she, she tells it like she was like testing all the waters, the crazy living on the edge, but she no. like drank a bit once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which I understand like for you was big. But. Yeah. So that really kind of was the catalyst for a lot of things. And uh, my parents listening to this will probably be like, yeah, that alcohol, it got her. But like, it was just kind of taught me like, hey, you, you can experience pieces of life and you can be a human even because humanity was such an evil thing growing up. And it was like, oh, you can be a human being and that's actually okay and probably good for you. Um, and in a, in, in, even in my experience with a lot of religious traditions, they teach like the flesh and humanity as the oppositional force to godliness and so obviously like trying to live and like be alive and feel alive and be a human at all is in opposition to the divine right exactly and i believed that my whole life and really finally when i turned 21 i was like okay well i've been denying really my physical existence my whole life and i and not even just physical existence, but any type of imperfection um, I had just buried. And it was a year of just kind of figuring out what that looked like. And um, it was also the year where I, like, moved to L.A. Um, and I did a film semester here and then, like, fully moved. And that was also huge. Um, I was in a school, but I had some professors who were really honest with me about their own struggles and their own humanity. And um, I saw Christians who were living really human lives. I really have a hard way of describing it other than just being a human being. Living very human lives, very open lives, and they were still Christians. Um, And they still love God, but they were not perfect beings. And I remember I went to lunch with a professor and I was like, I just feel so weird because I hate going to church, but I feel like I'm supposed to like going to church, but I really, really, really hate it. How did you ever get back to going to church? And he's like, 
I wouldn't push it. Go to church if you want to go to church and don't go to church if you don't want to go to church. That's fine. Um, and that was, that was huge for me. Um, and I was finally outside of a context of any type of expectations. I just came out here. No one knew me and I could finally kind of shake everything that I had, all the expectations I had given myself at Trinity and create new ones for myself here. Spiritually, a lot of it was just kind of figuring out, hey, I should like have some friends probably. Um, I should have like some type of community. I should probably still like have morals, like all of these things that I thought needed to be connected to Christianity. And I also thought that really church would be the only way to do that here. But I kept trying to find churches and I didn't like them. And um, I went through a really dark place, like mental health wise, and started going to therapy again. And that helped me feel connected to someone and to myself again. Um, and if you're open to it honestly i've been surprised like places i've worked and people i've met a good number of people out here the majority of people that i've gotten to know are either like jewish or christian so people you know think of la as being like a very like the city of sin or like very heathen or like this atheist propaganda machine but the majority of folks i've met have been some type of christian or jewish or you know something yeah. in the abrahamic tradition yeah um and it's obviously not everyone but a good number of folks yeah i didn't feel like i came out here and it was just this whole like hedonistic crazy festival like it it was a lot of people who had found that they didn't fit in their hometowns and didn't fit in their more conservative places and came out here and it i was always kind of taught that la pushed this agenda of like being gay is the best, all that kind of stuff. And, like, of course, my, like, conservative background was, like, gay is bad and all that shit. Um, but really, when I came out here, I was like, oh, people just want to be loved and be able to, like, live their lives without people fucking up with their stuff. And I could respect that. And I still respect that a lot. Um, I don't... I think there are a lot of issues with LA, but mostly on a superficial level. And I think I really, I really respect creators and creators' hearts. And I don't think it's a fundamentally sinful city, as a lot of people said. I know Trinity had a huge issue with me being a film major. There were different awards that I was up for, that kind of stuff that would have made sense for me to have. But I know. Um, that I didn't get them because I was a film major and they couldn't promote that they were um, supporting someone who was going into such a sinful profession. Um, I felt like I was very academically motivated and I didn't get the recognition that a lot of people who were academically motivated would normally get because I was in a quote-unquote sinful major. Moving to LA, I... I needed to figure out who I was in a whole new way and a whole new context. And it was the least religious structure I've ever been in. It was really no structure at all. Um, I had to just kind of figure out, I had to find a job, I had to find a place to live. 
Um, I had no money. I had no connections. Um, you had some connections because LAFSC. Yeah, I mean, like, I did. You knew some people. But it wasn't like I came from this long lineage certainly, certainly. of these filmmakers like a lot of my friends had. Right. Um, and I didn't. Yeah, I just. It was this whole weird time. Um, and I really found myself not praying anymore, not really reading my Bible anymore. Um, and I didn't feel like it was this whole like conscious decision. And it really didn't feel like a slip either. It was just like, this doesn't really make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense for who I am. It doesn't make sense for what I'm seeking. Um, really in LA, Christians aren't seen positively. Um, they're usually seen as people who are trying to oppress people. Um, they're seen as people who hate people who are gay, people who aren't white, um, people of different mental challenges. Like Christians are seen as a very hateful and restrictive group, um, especially Midwestern Christians. Um, and so it was really hard for me to be like, hmm, I really don't identify with that group and a lot of people out in la are from the midwest mind you like yeah they left the midwest like specifically know. because of that it's not just like uh oh well the news said right it's exactly. like a, i lived there and it this was my experience yeah it. yeah and i found a lot of freedom in that to be like yeah this is this is not really what makes sense for me anymore um and then I started dating you. And um, after a really long time of will they, won't they, we finally made the leap and started a long-distance relationship. And um, I was terrified to tell my parents because I knew they didn't think you were Christian enough. And I, Which I wasn't. Right. You weren't Christian enough. Um, and my mom was not happy about it. My dad was happy that I was happy um but really in my relationship with you I for the first time was kind of figuring out like oh this is what I think love is I really feel like I need to earn it and we had a lot of really intense discussions of you being like why do you feel like you need to earn my love like I'll either freely give it or I won't like that's how it works and and like Fortunately, you did freely give me your love and I had no concept of what that was. Like I just kept and I still do. I still try to earn people's love all the time. And um, I know that has a big foundation in my spiritual life growing up and feeling like I need to be perfect for anyone to love and care for me. Um, you really taught me how I could be loved I could be loved and still be a flawed person. I could be loved and be an honest person. And I, that blew my mind. That really blew my mind. And I think we glossed over a little bit in the beginning. And I don't know if you want to speak to this a ton. Um, the extent to which you felt like your behavior was directly equated to like the health of a ministry. You briefly mm. said in the last episode... Like you and your sister were, well, you said Soph said this. 
you and your sister were the living, breathing embodiment of your parents' ability to succeed in their ministry, but you didn't necessarily get into the implication of how your behavior affected the financial and like administrative health of an organization. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to describe because so much of it is unspoken. Um, but it really was, you know, we would go on these fundraising trips and we would go and visit all these churches and we had so many eyes on us and we'd go to these every, I don't know why it is, but everyone is like, oh, the missionaries are visiting. We have to serve them lasagna and apple crisp. And I was so sick of lasagna and apple crisp because it was like every day for eight weeks straight. And they all just wanted to make sure that Soph and I were perfect, really, um, before they invested their money in our ministry. And, um, and so I knew that my behavior really directly affected how much money my parents made and how much our family made and 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 to draw that out a little bit how much money her parents made how much money her family made and then because the organization they were running was drawn into the idea of your behavior affects the ability of your family to draw people's souls into heaven yeah exactly and that's like quite the burden that's a yeah and like there a hard was a thing lot to unlearn pressure. yeah yeah there was so <laughs> much pressure on all of my behavior and finally, I was in L.A. and I was like, no one knows what I'm doing. And it wasn't like I was doing all this crazy shit, but I could like... Except for the murders and the... <laughs> <laughs> I could... I didn't have that pressure anymore. And it was really, really nice. And I felt like seeking out a spiritual community would give me all that pressure again. And that scared me. I didn't want that. Um, I remember a previous pastoral figure of mine came out to LA and visited um not me personally but he was just like in the area um we went to dinner and he was asking me all these spiritual questions and I was like I have kind of forgotten how to speak this language this feels weird this feels awkward and I had to like just like switch into this different mode of living and being but I um I didn't enjoy it. It felt really, really constraining. And I was like, wow, how did I live my life like this? It was quite the debrief. It was. Yeah, yeah, I called you immediately. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Devin, this is what I had to do. And he like, he went off on about how like, how he was, how we're all supposed to be colorblind and it's racist to not be colorblind and all this stuff. And like, then he also really asked the question of what ended up inspiring this podcast. He said, with all these young people leaving the church, why stay? And what struck me was that he assumed that I stayed because of my parents. And um, I made up some bullshit answer. I tried to, like, push him a little bit. But I was like, oh, I can't. I can't play that game. I can't do it. This is exhausting and stressful and I don't want to put myself in that situation again so I really avoided spiritual spaces for a really long time because of that um and processed a lot of that with you yeah I I I just recall the way you felt so drawn back into it after 
kind of acclimating to the freedom, the frightening freedom. One of my favorite songs is by Louis Del Mar. And like one of the hooks is like freedom ain't it frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you can do whatever you want. But what do you do when everything's on you, right? Exactly. Um, but once you get used to that and you start to figure it out and you start to take the steps you need to, it becomes, oh, God, uh, I figured it out. And being drawn back into what then begins to feel like a cage when you have to be a certain way or like remembering how it feels to know that like eyes are on you for this, like the salvation of thousands or hundreds or dozens of souls even. Uh, and you're like parents ability to pay the bills. Um, being yeah. drawn into that must, must not be anything uh, to, to play with really. Like, yeah. I can't see that being very appealing. No, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. And I was such a stark reminder of like, oh, I cannot go back to that. Um, it felt really, it did feel like a cage. It felt very restricting. So we've only got a little bit more time left in this episode. Do you want to, do you want to kind of wrap up by talking about what your life looked like in LA kind of before COVID hit? Cause I know a lot changed for you near the beginning of COVID kind of beginning of 2020, but yeah. By the time 2019 was coming to a close, where did you find yourself? How were you feeling? How were you thinking? Yeah, we so we had been dating for almost two years at that point. Um, we had been done. We had been doing a lot of traveling that had helped me kind of understand the context of the world a lot better. Um, there were a lot of um, raised eyebrows at us traveling together, but I just decided to not interact with it. Um, and I found a job that I really loved. Um, and it's a very, it is not a Christian environment at all, but I feel much more respected by the people in this environment than I have in any other Christian environment. Um, and that's been really lovely. You know, obviously it's, it's in the entertainment industry um so i have you know there's gonna be crazy things that happen with that but um i like the heroin and the (laughs) you know la things um (laughs) but yeah i but i did get a lot of pushback and still do for moving to la and for um for just like giving up my roots, I guess, and moving to LA. And I was like, I've been saying I'm moving to LA since I was 16. It was 10 years ago, but um, people are still shocked that I actually did it. Um, But it was, it was hard and I proved a lot to myself. Um, And I think I learned in these past several years and I'm far stronger than I thought. Um, And that doesn't have to be because of God. Um, It's because of, the community around me, the people that I have, the intelligence that I was given and taught um, growing up, and the honestly the resourcefulness that I was given by growing up in such a poor community. Um, I am very scrappy, and I've figured it out. And that sounds very that sounds really like egotistical, but it was really a confidence booster. And there's really something to that. When you grow up knowing that you're poorer than the people around you, it allows you to like 
not really have a bottom line for standards. Mm -hmm. And so when you're trying to make it in a new city that doesn't care about you, like you really don't expect the city to give you anything. And so you're fine living out of your car for a couple nights if you have to, um, because you know how to like figure it out. Yeah. And, and you know that it won't be forever. And I know also like <laughs> I didn't have the option of going back to the UP. I didn't have the option of going home. Mm -hmm. So there was a time where I was living in Airbnbs for six months. I had just totaled my car. I was making $15 an hour, which is nothing in LA. Um, and student loans had just kicked in, all this shit. And I still didn't feel like I could go home. I had to figure it out. And I did. And it worked out. And I had help. Um, and But a lot of times I didn't have help. And it worked out. And... Um, it really helped me kind of see like, okay, you can do this. Um, so really a lot of these past couple of years has, have just been working through a lot of my own psychology in therapy and with you and kind of unlearning a lot of things from my growing up years that have been detrimental and um, just trying to like make a living wage and live in a decent apartment without cockroaches. Like, that's so, been a big focus. It sounds like just, like, establishing a way to exist has been kind of the focused post-college. And religion wasn't necessarily top of mind because, you know, Maslow's, like, you needed, you needed like, yeah, food and shelter before you could worry about your eternal soul. Exactly. <laughs> um, I would, I did visit a church for a while. Um, and my parents would be like, don't tell them about your background because they're going to want you to do all this shit. I mean, they wouldn't say shit, obviously, but they'd want you to do all this stuff. And then I would try to like really play this dance of like, I wanted a spiritual community, but I didn't want them to know I had a background in ministry because they would exploit me, yeah. basically. Um, it almost happened once. Yeah, it did. Thankful for COVID for saving me from that. <laughs> they were lovely people, but yeah, I just, it's, I knew my parents their whole lives would meet someone and be like okay they're talented in this way hopefully we, they can like donate that to the ministry and like I didn't want to be in a spiritual environment where I had to hide all of my talents otherwise I would have to be exploited for them um and yeah you, you could say freely give them but when you're making no money and you have no time and you have no energy I really needed cared for and I didn't feel like I could get that in a spiritual environment yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about all we have time for. Do you have any like final comments you want to say or any any last stuff before before 2020 and the reckoning <laughs> it was? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, if you're still here, thanks for sticking with us again. Uh, come back next time for Olivia 3 Tokyo Drift and all the <laughs> wonderful things that come with it. Oh, it's a doozy. <laughs> it's an absolute doozy. Well, thanks much. Have a great day. See you next time. Yeah.